0: Welcome to the Avance podcast. He's Nick. Stop doing that. You know that <laughs> throws me off. Like <laughs> it's been a day. And then that would make you Dan. Okay. That's true. Okay. <laughs> like, How you been, man? Uh, but apparently brain dead. <laughs> it's, it's Like I was not prepared for that as you throw it to me. I'm I'm doing I'm trying not to freeze to death. Uh you know, yeah. it's getting colder and colder. Um which is ironic cuz I'm Starting to spend more time outside. I got, the, I got the new bike, and I'm starting to ride around the neighborhood, bigger circles every time. Ooh. Make sure, <laughs> still make sure I can make it home. Took the training wheels off. Yeah, just a lot, a lot less in shape than I thought. I mean, I knew I was not in shape, <laughs> and I knew round was a shape, but I, uh, you know, it's just uh, getting out there and doing that, and I'm learning that. Um, you know, I used to, I used to ride a lot, yeah. But I'm learning that now, especially around here, that it's important when you ride on trails to have a bell because you can come around a corner and. Take out a hiker. And they're not real nice when you do it. It's not like I did it on purpose. So, uh, you know, I, I, I went and bought a bell today. Hello, <laughs> so, speed bump. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was, I'm going to say this nicely. There was a Karen hiking and I, I, yeah, I didn't I even want, hit her. I kind
1: of uh, want to put one of those on my motorcycle just for fun. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of getting colder, it is getting much colder. I almost ran out of propane. That's oh. fun. the fun of living in the country is I don't have like a natural gas. So I buy a propane. So they can yeah. fill the tank. While I went out there the day, it was like 15% on a 500 gallon tank. So that was a fun bill, but I'm not going to freeze to death over Christmas. So that's cool. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> Yikes. Um, but that means if if you're cold, they're cold. Uh, don't let the cougars inside or the raccoons, but they will try. Oh, I was like,
0: there's some lovely older women. I know. Oh, in okay. spite Different of the ads of on your okay. browser, yeah, the okay. cougars
1: in your neighborhood are not the ones you want where we are fair yeah so this is a good time for our carter automotive group tip of the week and we've talked about this before but we really need to drive this point home now is the time to start putting those dryer sheets under your hood because little critters don't like those but they love chewing on your wiring your hood insulation your floorboards anything that's warm and they can pull out they will take and as you pull it if you have to park outside or even if you park inside and you don't have a very secure garage make sure that you are aware of the little critters put out traps just make sure you don't trap your pets but <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah uh dryer sheets are a great little deterrent but watch out for that right now at this time of year and if you park outside something you may not consider as well every, all the leaves came down and they're still coming down a little bit in some places and all those crevices around your trunk and up or oh, your heater vent up by your hood there they're going to get crammed full of that stuff so check your cabin filters check your hood spaces your your nooks and crannies pop your hood and take a good look yeah yeah it's a good time yeah. to and um yeah no, we'll save the next tip for the next episode. Okay. Too bad. Fair enough. Too yeah. bad, folks. Too bad. you got to yeah. wait. Yeah. We have a very special guest this week. We are very excited to introduce. You may know him if you've ever looked at racing, if you were a fan of Formula One or endurance racing or, boy, art. You've done a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steven Johansson, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: Well. Sorry, I was literally getting a message from
0: Carl, who nicely was the one that helped set this up. So he says hi. Uh, so I, I don't know where he's at. I, I don't know if he was going to try to join us or not. But uh, you know, he. Sorry, I was like, that's this message popped up, and I'm like, yeah. Carl says he's all alone. But, I mean, I don't know if that's a, like a life thing or a
1: yeah, so yeah, <laughs> he's got his dogs, he's fine sure. anyway. Yeah. yeah, uh, so 10 years in Formula One, then endurance racing. I mean, you have had quite the career, and then the move to art is uh, leaves them for the rest of us, man. Is there anything you don't do?
2: <laughs> There's plenty of things <laughs> left to do, but uh, yeah, I guess I've been lucky to be able to do what I love doing pretty much my whole life. I had a real job for about six months when I was 18, and then cars and art
1: way to suffer <laughs>
2: <laughs> so let's talk about
0: a little bit about you know where you came from how how you got to you know obviously from driving into f1 and then and getting into art like you know I, we, we always ask it you know were you were you the the typical car kid you know did you love cars growing up
2: uh yeah yes i, I did uh, i mean i grew up my dad was racing sort of club racing in sweden saloon cars and stuff so I used to go to races with him at a very young age, like three or four years old, so I sort of grew up with it. And then uh, I got a go kart when I was eight and started practice. You couldn't race until you were 12 back then, so I raced with him and friends, you know, and the club where I grew up there. Um, and then started racing at 12 and raced karting until I was 18 when you could take cars. And then, uh, yeah. Natural progression, like karting, Formula Ford, Formula 3, Formula 2, and then Formula 1, and the sports cars, and all the rest of it, yeah.
0: Where did you grow up? Where, where, uh... Uh,
2: in a very small town in Sweden called Vaxjo. V-A-X-J-O. It's about, well, now it's a bit bigger, but back then there was about 30,000 people, so it was a very small town.
0: Okay. And, and your family's originally from that area?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, everywhere all from there, yeah. Interesting. It's an interesting kind. Despite its size, we've had a huge amount of world class sportsmen. Mats Villander came from there, the tennis player. Stefan Edberg, uh, a lot of the really good hockey players in Sweden and football players and stuff. So it's a really kind of sport culture there, you know. So uh, everybody grew up doing sports of some sort there.
0: so people are inclined to do other things outside of sitting around the town, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you when you when you when you got the go kart? Did you, you know? I, I think we hear so many people that want to be able. You know, they say I, I got a go kart, and I knew from the, that point I wanted to be an F1. Is that where you wanted to end up?
2: Uh, eventually, I didn't have those dreams or aspirations early on. I have to admit, you know, I was more actually more interested in ice hockey. I was quite good at nice. ice hockey until i decided to you know focus on racing when i was 18 or 19 at that point um so i played in the second division right below pro level um and i was for quite a while more into that really than the driving but uh, eventually that took over and you know the then the dream started you know wanted to move to england and race formula 3 and the next step after after f3 is typically either Straight to F1 or Formula Two, and then Formula One. So that's where the dream took me eventually.
1: And you got into racing at the probably the most hardcore, most dangerous time of racing, especially for Formula One. Before really, I mean, everything was manual at that time, 100. Yeah. percent. I mean, you were even racing and the most on straight when it was straight.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back yeah. before they had
1: those pesky curves, I know, to slow yeah. people down. Yeah. yeah. what did you get up to in there? I always ask everybody who's done that.
2: It. It was. Absolutely daunting because you just sit there, you know, for it's forever and (laughs) just waiting for something to break on the car basically. So you're just on 100% alert the whole time, a puncture or something, because a puncture at that speed generally was bad news. You know, I mean, that was a big, big accident. It would tear the whole car up before you even hit something, just from the explosion of the tire. So that was the biggest concern, and then with Le Mans, and it's still the same now, but obviously you don't reach the same speed because of the chicanes, but because it's public roads the rest of the year, it's got this crown in the middle, so the car is constantly darting left and right, left and right, left and right, you know, and if you had to pass another car, a slower car, you had to get over that crown, and you know, you just never quite knew what was going to happen, so it was, it was, uh... It's probably the only place, or any track in the world, actually, where the straight is as difficult as the as the corners almost.
0: I mean, it's got to be the only race cars, and of course, still allowed the fact that they're still, like I said, during other days of the of the year, yeah. it's a real street. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean,
2: there not... are some street circuits like that, but they're yeah. nowhere near the speed of them on. Of course, course, course not. Right. Of I mean, course it's not. In the city streets, generally, so most street circuits are very slow. But this is the fastest track in the world, really.
0: That's yeah. So interesting, i mean uh, as always being a, a big large individual that can't i mean I can drive, but I can't drive like that i' yeah. never <laughs> been a goal you know somebody look at me and be like, "Your leg weighs too much to be in this car, so I'd be kind of done <laughs> so wouldn't fit anyway so yeah.
1: yeah, and you spent uh i mean that was i guess the moment but then your endurance racing career, which you did very well at um what was the the transition between formula one to endurance i mean it, I guess, what guided that transition? And then what what made you really want to stop? Because you just sort of stopped one day.
2: Well, I mean, the transition, I mean, I I did Endurance before I did F1, the first part in 83 and 84. um, And then I moved into Formula 1. So back then, you know, and often you do both kind of, you know, as long as there was no clashes, which I did the first couple of years. and then I did a whole 10-year span of F1 when I didn't do any endurance racing. So then when I quit F1, I moved to America. I did IndyCar. And then I started doing sporadic races in endurance again. I did, you know, did Le Mans, and we won Le Mans that year in 97. Ebring the same year. And um, so then I kind of started a new career in sports car racing after that. And then I went, that career went on for another years almost.
0: That's amazing, and the yeah. fact that, you know, you can, uh, I mean, endurance racing, I I, I have a, I have a huge respect for all racers, of course, but, like, endurance racing, being in there, and being, you know, you're in that car so long, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, for literally
2: sometimes 24 hours. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's in the names. Yeah, well, yeah you know. I mean, well, you can't be in the, nowadays, like, I mean, back in the very early days, they could. I think there was one who did almost the whole race, right? back in the like 1920 or something, I don't know, very yeah. early on anyway. But now I think they have a limit now four hours. Yeah. So, but Still. which is fine, you know, at night we often do that because you try to give the other guys a rest, you know, and uh, and it's not as hot. So, you know, the physical side of it is not that hard. But uh, the three stints is not a problem. I and mean, it's hardly ever a problem really, but the fourth gets tough because then all the fluid starts to, get really weird in your body you know you I mean you feel like crap when you get out of the car after 4 hours really so it's a lot of, a lot more recovery after a f- quadruple stint than a triple for example
0: I mean sometimes I feel like crap getting out of the, just driving my regular car for 4 hours so I can imagine what it's like to get out of a race car um I want to talk a little bit about about F1 and it's a question that I've always had for I mean getting in front of a driver's harder than you think you guys are flying all over the world at all times, and I mean, how do you keep your body on a schedule? It's like you know, you're racing at midnight one place. Obviously, coming from endurance racing, it probably makes it a lot easier. But and then you're you're you know, you're racing in another country at a different time zone. Is that tough, or was it yeah, tough? I should
2: say. Yeah, I mean, it is. You know, it's uh, if it's long distance and you have a time zone to get over, you normally go there a bit earlier than you would. normally. I mean, if you're in Europe, you go, you arrive at the track on Thursday. Briefings with the engineers, do a track walk, and everything, and then you're ready to go on Friday. But let's say we go to Australia or Japan or you know any of those races, then you typically go Monday at least, you know, or Tuesday before the race. So you got two, preferably three days to get over the jet lag. So you're somewhat fresh when you are on, on the Friday.
1: It's amazing to me. <laughs> it takes me like a week every time I travel overseas to adjust to anything. Yeah, mean, just hearing that explanation made me here, tired. So, sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I just got back from Dubai this week. It's a 12 hour time difference from Los Angeles to Dubai. I'm struggling. It's, it's,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you making the yeah. time. Um, so, yeah, you're still involved in motorsports, though. I know yeah. you, you, oh, yeah, your, your much passion much. has moved to painting, but your passion didn't leave motorsports. No, you're no. still. No, no, uh, no. Yeah, you're working with Ferrari now, right?
2: Yeah, I do. I'm sporting director for the team here in America, the uh, GT and the Ferrari Challenge with uh, in California, Gurria Corsa. And, of course, I manage Scott Dixon and Felix Rosenquist in IndyCar, uh, Rasmus Lind in uh, Indy Lights this year, a few other drivers that I try to help out. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm quite, I mean, more than, I would say about 50% or more is still involved with racing.
1: Nice. What are you driving now? I had, I got to ask. On the ask. road, you mean? Y- yeah, like what's your, what's your daily driver? I, uh,
2: you know, cars on the road really doesn't mean a lot to me, you know, it's first <laughs> of all, you can't really, in, yeah. anywhere near the way they should be used if it's a nice car. But I, I drive a Maserati Levant at the moment. Oh, okay. Company car with with the Scuderia Corsa guys. Rough. That's a rough. rough That's a rough company car. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Nice. Uh, Let's talk about. I mean, I do want to get back into the race a little bit, but I want to talk about how did you find a passion for your art?
2: I I sort of grew up with it a little bit. My grandfather was an artist, so I used to watch him paint. You know, when I was a little kid, stand next to him and just sort of. Watch and I remember more than anything. I remember the smell of the paint. You know, I really liked that, and I do remember that from being a child. You know, just the smell when I was standing there watching him. But uh, Mm. I never really did anything myself. You know, as far as like drawing or anything really. And and weirdly, it was um, I started collecting art when I made some money in racing. Uh, so I started buying the piece here and there on my travels and through friends that was in the art world and so on. Uh, so I started to build a little collection you know, of the money I made when I started in Formula One and so on. And then, uh, But it was uh, kind of a strange circumstance. So when, in 86, um, I had developed a very good relationship, friendship with Elio De Angelis, who was uh, one of my compatriots in, in F1 at that time he drove a lotus uh, when i was with ferrari and we became really good friends and we that last year we spent a lot of time together and had a lot of fun together and and then when he got killed in his testing accident that really affected me in a bad way and for some reason i don't frankly know to this day but something prompted me to go and buy a, a canvas and some paint and some brushes and do something in his memory and that that's really what got me started. I then realized immediately that I was you know, hooked on this and I've been on and off ever since. So it's, it's kind of always been like a therapy, really, for me more than anything until I decided to stop driving, fully stop driving myself. Then I have sort of channeled all that energy I've done my whole life into racing into the art, you know, and sort of really, really um, kind of applying the same discipline. And, methodology as you do when you try to have a career in racing you know it's just a different career but you still got to do figure out all the bits and pieces to make it happen and make it work and create the stuff that's in your head you know it's easy to have it in the head it's not quite so easy to put it on the canvas but (laughs) but that's a great process to to figure it all out at the same time
1: Do you find the same intensity or the same feeling? I know it's. I mean, the adrenaline is different, obviously, in racing. But do you find this this, the feel, the same intensity for your art that you do that you did for racing?
2: Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm as passionate and focused on it as I ever was for the racing. Uh, I mean, I live and breathe the art now. You know, I'm in my studio every day at nine o'clock till late at night most times, and uh, you know, creating or thinking of new ideas or trying to move things forward, you know? So everything you have to do as a regular, you know, whatever it is you set your mind to, you gotta, you gotta make it happen, right? I mean, that's kind of what it's, what it's all about. Um, so yeah, I mean, but, but it, it is a lot of similarities actually. When, when you're in the car and you're on the limit and you're 100% focused on what you're doing, sort of stillness, it's very calm, Control. you're really on top you feel like you could walk on the pavement you know it's it's not an effort when you're really on top of it when you you're one with a car it just flows in a really a way and it's the same with the art you know once you get into that state of mind where you everything's working it's it flows and it's i don't know it's kind of a used cliche you're in the zone but i think that's what it is you know you just get into that state of mind where you kind of detached from the rest of the world in a weird way. But it's a beautiful space to be in.
0: So when you you go to, when you start thinking about a piece, do you know, or is it something, I mean, there's a lot of artists we've spoken to will look at the canvas and it will sort of speak to what they want to do. Do you know, do you have an idea as far as what you want to do?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I do a lot of research before I actually start the painting. I have an enormous amount of notes and sketches and stuff, you know, that I do before just to kind of get a, create a mental picture of what, I mean, I, the idea is, with art, you know, you've got to have something that, the, the eye for what it's going to look like when you're done with it. And sometimes it takes its own direction, especially with the abstract pieces that I do, you know, the, the figurative is really defined and clear before I start the painting, you know, that's, it's all laid out and it's all just, then it's just sort of execution. Started. But the abstract is different, then you kind of just got to let it flow until it feels right and look right, you know.
0: And we, we will obviously show some photos when, when people click on the article, but could you explain, like, what type of art you produce? Like, I mean, because when you look at it, it's, it's very different, you know, than, than most, I would say, you
1: know, normal brush strokes or working with, what was the art, um, like, for, or like, with her. she's using uh, metal, uh, yeah. the, uh, spade. Blade. Blades and things like that. Yeah.
2: So, so I have kind of three different styles now that I've been working on. Um, the figurative, what I'm doing right now is this very large-scale portraits of different people. And I base these primarily on the quote from the various people. So, you know, I do a lot of reading on planes and so on, you know, and every now and then, you read something and it just pops out at you and like, that, that's powerful or it makes me laugh or it makes you angry or whatever. So Then I kind of churn it in my head and then trying to figure out a way to you know, put that on the canvas with, with a picture of the, the subject. At the, most of the time, a picture of the subject. Sometimes I pick a quote that brings meaning to whatever that subject's background might be or whatever. Um, So that's kind of the process with that. But I've also done a lot of different figurative. I did a lot of, when I started painting, I did a lot of hands. And then also with some kind of meaning behind it. And then the abstracts, the the series I call Memories of a Past Life, is really inspired by different sections, corners on various tracks around the Formula One circuit. Um, The colors that maybe brings back a memory or something that inspired me to do that particular piece and then I write a little, just a little blurb underneath what what the inspiration was and so on. And then the third one I've just started doing now is this, I'm doing a lot of cars, but I've done other images as well in the same technique. It's sort of a pointillism inspired by Surat, Pizarro, you know, the impressionists. Pointillist style uh, way back then. Sort of incorporate that into a, a photographic photographic image, which I paint uh, of a race car, and then I use this pointillism to kind of trying to f- feel the sort of the intensity and the chaos at speed. You know, with, with all the sort of the, the explosion of different colors and so those, those are the three different styles I do.
0: It's amazing. I mean, I mean,
2: they're completely different, all three, really.
0: Yeah, I was on your website, and just, you know, obviously the automotive art really appealed to me, but everything, yeah. you know, the-, the Well, everybody the,
2: the, asks me, you know, you, why don't you paint cars? And I'm like, <laughs> you try to be an artist, it feels a bit too close to home to paint sure. cars. I mean, like, sure. there's so many great artists that paint cars, you know. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to add to that list, and that's. I thought, well, maybe I f- try to come up with some kind of an artistic Im- alternative or impression that, my style, you know, that so that everybody can see that it's something I painted because it's unique. The tip that particular style of painting a car, if you like.
0: I think, I think the cars stand out very well in, in your form of art. I mean, I was looking at the, that 9, 917 Golf, the Porsche. It's just, yeah. you know, you could, you could not show me the name, and I'd go, I know
1: what that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's well interpreted, yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite that you know, you've done? Any, or just like a, one you're very proud of, or a moment um, even?
2: Well, one of my favorites is actually the, one of the first ones I ever did, which is the portrait of Pablo Picasso. And wow. that's what inspired me to do this. So I've been for literally 20 years, been racking my brain to come up with, and that's why I never showed my paintings before then, because I felt like I, I, I didn't have a style that was, I was proud enough to feel comfortable to show to people. I did it more for my own sake, you know, as a the therapy. But mm-hmm. when I came up with this idea of using the subject, and this quote I found of Picasso was so strong and so powerful in my mind, that I then came up with the idea of doing the portrait, very figurative, very detailed, and then obscure the whole portrait with the quote, which is him basically admitting that he's taken the piss out of everybody sure. <laughs> his whole career. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yes. and sort of somehow sums up the art world in a weird way, I think, you know, uh, and, you know, the more crazy stuff I do, the more people admire me, and, you know, and that's... <laughs> kind of a way that the art has moved for good or bad you know over 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 time so that's yeah as, my, as, as my we look time. through
1: i love how different all your art is i really love that like you you would it just it's it's very very different and it's unique I yeah it. it's fun
2: yeah i mean i you know, if I get so i think you just got to follow your heart to kind of, you know, if you get something, I mean, that's, for me, the excitement is to get an idea in your head, churn it and develop it into, you know, and then when you see it finished, I mean, it's an unbelievably gratifying feeling, you know, and then hopefully people like it. I mean, if they don't, it's, you know, it's too bad, but... uh
0: Oh, at the end of the day, you know, it's your art and your expression, if they don't like it, they don't get it, it's their fault. Yeah, yeah. well... <laughs> exactly. It's right there on the canvas, I don't know how you can't get it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Have you had the moment, I'm sure you're still recognized in the automotive world from enthusiasts all over the world, but have you had the moment yet where people are like, oh, they recognize you as the artist, has that happened to you yet?
2: Uh, it has happened a couple of times, but I would like that, I mean... I would be incredibly happy if my legacy being a great artist as far, I mean, as opposed to being a racing driver, if you like.
1: Huh. That's, that's interesting to hear. Well, I mean, I
2: had my career in racing and I did okay, but I didn't really accomplish everything I wanted to do. You know, I mean, when, when you get to (laughs) Formula One, you want to be world champion. You want to be, I never got to that, you know? So, I'm not complaining. I mean, I had a good career, but. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. You had some
0: <laughs> stiff competition when you were yeah. racing too, so, but,
2: yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. You have a competitive mind, you know, you want to be the best at whatever you set out to do. Right. And, um, yeah, so, you know.
1: I would be proud being on the pit crew of a Formula 1 team. <laughs> I would ride that to my grave. I'd just be proud to be there, <laughs> no let kidding. alone be on a pit crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Especially now.
0: Did you, did you enjoy your time in F1?
2: Yes, I did, Kay. yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's, it's joy, but it's, the pressure is immense, you know, so you, you, I think it's, of course it's enjoyable, you know, you do what you love doing, and you have, you know, I mean, it's a great life, don't get me wrong, I mean, it's but it's also incredibly intense and hard work. And it's nowhere near the glamour that people think it is, of course, you know, not, not for the drivers. Um, so, but yeah, of course, I mean, it's, you know, stream, you know, if that's what you're interested in, to be racing in Formula One, and then on top of it, race for Ferrari, you know, which is really everybody, every racing driver. <laughs> yeah, is to just that a little Italian startup,
1: on. yeah. Yeah, actually, tell me more about that. I honestly, I mean, from a complete outsider's perspective, life in Formula One, especially in the 80s and 90s, seems like the greatest time to be alive, let alone a driver at Formula One. Like, from an outside perspective, you're like, man, it didn't get any better than that. Well, they I, had cigarette sponsorships.
0: Exactly. I mean, that was late <laughs> yeah. Marlboro and money. Yeah. <laughs> so. you know,
2: weirdly, I, I didn't start smoking until I was sponsored by Marlboro. So, there you go. <laughs> Funny how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> I never smoked a lot, but I did smoke no. a little bit, Jeremiah, funnier.
0: You're healthy. Here's a cigarette sponsor. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> we think.
2: Yeah. Well, I was so different then. It's crazy if you think back now. I remember my well, first I- ever Grand Prix in Argentina, um, 1980. You know, and I'd, my, I'd never driven anything more powerful than a Formula Three car before the first practice session and for the Grand Prix. No testing before, and going into the drivers' briefing. Like, all my heroes are there, you know, like, all of them. You could barely see when you walk in the room, because everybody's smoking. I mean, every one of them. <laughs> okay. like a great cloud when you walk in there. You know. so, that That's, was, uh,
0: so you started your, your F1 career in, in 1980, right, through 91? Was there, was there a yeah, small gap there was in a there? Yeah,
2: So I only did two races in 1980. It was with Shadow, okay. and then the team... Well, I decided to leave because I could see that it wasn't going anywhere. And Ron Dennis then offered mm-hmm. me a drive with his team in Formula 3 in 1980. We won the championship <laughs> together. So uh, the team folded the, day, the, the next race after I left them. So it was probably a good move not to stay on. And then I, had, so then I didn't get back into Formula 1 until 1983 again. Spirit Honda, when Honda came back to Formula 1. Hmm. And I mean, then obviously I from 83 to 91 yeah
0: you know two of the biggest names that pop up when, when you come up is Ferrari and then you
1: also you also race, race for McLaren too didn't you yeah okay very different cultures yes um, what was the what was that like working because I think of Ferrari and McLaren I think of two very different racing cultures what was the totally what, what were the yeah. differences yeah
2: yeah completely different I mean they both obviously got the results you know but in a completely different way Especially back then, Ferrari was, you know, very Italian in its culture, a lot of passion, you know, and so uh, I mean, you know, we saw Enzo much every day, actually, because we tested at Fiorano almost every day during the weeks, and uh, we used to have lunch with him, you know, so he always held, you know, his little about, you know, the, the car and what, you know, what was going on with the team and everything else, you know, and for him it was really all about the engine, you know, the car was just something he had to bolt an engine into the back of, really. Only cared about the power of the engine, and they were good, I mean, the engine was always strong, but uh, were quite behind then on, on sort of chassis development, and mostly on aerodynamics, you know, because that had just started to creep in at that point, the whole aero thing, you know. And McLaren was all unbelievably well organized and everything methodical, you know, and, and precise. And it was, it was a great environment for a driver because when you arrive there, you know, there's no compromise on anything. Whatever you wanted, you just, it'll get done, you know. And so, you know, they gave you all the tools to job done. Feel good as a driver, obviously.
0: I don't think we've ever had anybody on the show that has sat and had lunch with Enzo Ferrari. That's a pretty that's true. powerful thing. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, obviously, being a lover of motorsports and knowing that name, and I think, you know, in today's day and age, especially with F one and and for you know, people now know you know Ferrari versus Ford versus Ferrari, and they they know more about F one by thinking they watched the Netflix series. <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, Enzo Ferrari was an amazing man, as far as what creating that. That you know for creating Ferrari and what he built and the fact that a lot of people don't know that you know he created road cars so that he could go racing. That yeah. was the main goal in his mind. So um, that's amazing. I think I, I, a little bit naw when you're like, oh yeah, I just had lunch with him. Oh good, <laughs> that's yeah, great. Well, we
2: literally had lunch, <laughs> sure, probably three days a week for most yeah. throughout the summer period. You know, that's but amazing. Back then well, as well, you know, there's daylight till about ten o'clock at night and. You know, we used to pound round and round and round Fiorana. We didn't really have anything to try in the end, but the old man wouldn't leave, you know, and all the engineers were sort of standing there looking at their watch. And it's like, when the hell is he going to leave, you know? We <laughs> want to go home now. <laughs> <And we laughs> I just, was going to ask you, you. Didn't he live next to the track? It's not a far place. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Well, he lived next
1: to the track, didn't he?
0: Wasn't well, his I house
2: not far. Right? I mean, it's about 20 minutes. Oh, okay. So
1: oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any any standout uh, Ferrari memories? Um, Or McLaren, both.
0: I mean, that has to be a pretty cool thing when you're racing and Ferrari comes to you and says they want you to be a part of their team. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the pinnacle.
2: Well, especially now, if you reflect back, of course, it's a a huge thing, you know, to be chosen by him to drive his car, of course. You know, it's, uh, Mm I mean, it's. It was ever always every driver's dream, and this day. I mean, it still is, even though he's not alive. It's still every driver's dream to to drive the red car. You know, at some time in their career.
1: Quite the legacy, yeah. You said uh, earlier that uh, being an F1 driver wasn't the glamour that everybody thinks it is, and I certainly thought it was. In what way? Just the just the fact that you it was so much work all the time.
2: Yeah, because I mean, you you know, at races you're you're with the engineers till pretty much 10 o'clock at night, you get sort of meal served, the hospitality or whatever, you know, and you're just in there trying to figure out what we need to do to make the car go faster, you know, and go through all of the, I mean, it's not so much data then because we didn't have a lot of data, but it was still a lot of going through different scenarios, different ways to, you know, there's so many different options on a car get it to where you want it to be on Sunday afternoon, you know, or for qualifying. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it was like that. Then you just literally go leave the track, go straight to your hotel, sleep back in the morning and same thing again, you know. So all this glamorous stuff, that's what you see on pictures and cameras and film and stuff. But the drivers rarely see any of that. You know, we're we're too busy doing our job. <laughs>
0: I don't know who it was, but I, I mean, through watching the millions of hours of F1 stuff, there was some driver that said, basically, you know, you just had to go in and tell the engineers what your butt was feeling. Like, it's not like today where, you know, they can, they can look at the car and look at the, the data and go, oh, the rear end's loose. You know, you've got to come in there and go, look, I was doing this. I felt the rear end come out. How do we, how do we fix that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, then, I mean, literally, the, dr- the driver's feedback was all they had to go on. Yeah. there was really no data to speak of you know i mean it's b- unbelievably crude and rudimentary to like at the very end but the earliest there was nothing There's no 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 data readings no measuring of data or anything it was all by feel, you know so we had to really really relay. i mean i remember so many times driving back to the hotel like at 10 at night and you're halfway to the hotel and then I mean, that forgot, you know, and then we didn't have any mobile phones either. Sure. So you go, turn around, drive back <laughs> oh, yeah. to the track. Ah, sure. I just remembered, you know, the car is doing this and that, you know, and the turn into the Lesmo 2, blah, 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 whatever it might be, you know. And, ah, okay, so then that might have been the magic bullet we were looking for, you know, so some, you just had to do it, you know. But, I mean, it's interesting now because I was in the pits at Monza about four years ago. With Ferrari, with a radio on during qualifying, and uh, I can't remember who the driver was. But anyway, he, he's doing his first run in qualifying, and he's on his slowdown lap into the pits, and the engineer is talking to him on the radio, telling him what the car is doing. <laughs> okay. and and the driver didn't say one word. It was, I, it was no. like, that's interesting. <laughs>
0: You're te- yeah, 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 they're, they're uh, telling yeah, him what on he's on feeling.
2: steer and three <laughs> there and there. You know, we're going to change there. We're going to put one all of front wing, blah, blah, whatever, you know. Bizarre.
0: Out of all the F1 cars that you got to drive, what was the best? What, I mean, and I understand that's a car specific to the track, but I mean, who, who made the best car that you drove that you believe?
2: Well, again, you know, it's, it's, Best car is always the one that wins, right? But yes, <laughs> fair, enough, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. But weirdly, the best car I ever drove in Formula 1 was a car I never got to race. It was the Tolman, 85 oh. Tolman, designed by Rory Byrne and Pat Simmons, huh? who subsequently won, won many world championships with Ferrari and Benetton, respectively. They were great. I mean, Rory Byrne is one of the most underrated, designers in Formula One history, in my opinion. I mean, he's done some unbelievably great cars, you know. He's still involved with Ferrari to this day. He's still involved with the design of the new Ferrari this year, for example. But um, yeah, the car was amazing, you know, it's a, the harmonics and the, uh, the suspension and everything, it was just an unbelievably nice car to drive. And then I never got to race it because I then got tired by Ferrari. Uh, after the first two races and the team didn't do the first two races because there was some political issue at the time with the tires so Pirelli wouldn't supply them tires for some reason so I was just hanging out you know going to the tracks anyway just to kind of show my face and that's when Ferrari contacted me then I don't know what happened when they fired Arnoux but then they contacted me and the whole thing sort of happened in a
1: well wow <laughs> It's absolutely fast. Yeah, it's
0: absolutely amazing as far as you know, seeing that insight. Uh, yeah,
1: I know you're no longer racing, um, but uh, you still head to the track all the time. Obviously, you're still engaged in motorsports. Yeah. Is there anything you've jumped on the track with uh, recently, just for fun, or even just uh, as a feedback session that you've been? Uh, you want to talk about? I'd love to hear some stories from just over the years.
2: Uh, well, when I decided to stop, which is six years ago now, I totally shut it down. You know, I just like that's it. It's out of my mind. I'm done with this now. And I have no, have not had any desire really to get back in a car since then. I did Goodwood, uh, the Revival this year in a Porsche 904 with a good friend of mine. Just, just fun really, you know, but, um, you know, no preparation or anything, just kind of jumped in the car and, you know, did the, did the race. But, uh, aside from that, I haven't done anything in six years now. I'm fine with that, you know, and I. I kind of almost want to keep it that way because every time in the past when I was close to sort of, you know, then the arts was always there and I wanted to pursue the art, but the racing, the problem with racing is, you know, it doesn't matter what level you do it, you get sucked in hundred percent, you know, and because you're too competitive to not want to win, you know, so <laughs> you've got to do everything you have to do to prepare yourself to be as good as you can be when you're in the car, you know. Old habits. Uh, exactly. <laughs> what,
0: what made you stop racing?
2: I, I, well, in the end, you know, it, it's, I, the last sort of five, six, seven years, I, I only did it sporadically like, through three, four races a year. And even if, the, if you only do a few races, you're, gonna, you're not going to be at the sharpest, you know, because you just don't get enough seat time, enough training. But then getting old on top of it, And then adding that, you know, it just, (laughs) and in the end, I I always said to myself, I'm going to stop if I'm not enjoying it, or if I feel like I'm not getting the job done. And Mm -hmm. in the end, I just felt like I wasn't getting the job done. You know, I could see everything I was doing wrong, but I wasn't that easy to fix it. You know, I could see like, what are you doing here? You're two feet off the apex. You know, you should be there, not here, you know, And, and then, but it just, it was hard to get it the flow you know and then on the plane back from I'm done. shut it down from that moment on
1: do you find that in art do you, do you find that like you know when you've done something wrong or is it more feel
2: well with the art i'm still learning every day you know so i'm not anywhere near as good as an artist as i, I can be you know it's a the process the whole time, especially with the, the figurative stuff, you know, which takes a lot of technique and understanding colors and just the whole thing, you know. So it's a, uh, you see, I go often to, you know, there's a museum here in LA called the Norton Simon where they have a lot of the old masters like Rembrandt and stuff, you know, and it's just like mind blowing when you see how they paint. It's, I mean, it's just incredible, you know, and just so there's, you know, for me, as an artist, if you want to get to that, I mean, it's, you know, training. And, but, you know, I, I, I get better and better at it, I feel like, you know, when, yeah. and when I keep doing it, especially if I'm on it all the time, you know. Like anything you do, you practice, you get better.
1: It's interesting to hear the parallels because art is so subjective, and yet racing, it's like, no, it's whoever finishes first. Yeah, I first. Mean, that's <laughs> one thing I do miss,
2: actually, with art. It's too... Subjective, in my opinion, and you have no winners or losers. You can have the greatest artist in the world that can't sell his paintings for twenty-five dollars at Starbucks, you know. But then you have some clown with a top hat, you know. As long as he makes the noise and do the thing and the marketing and all the rest of it, his painting sells for millions, you know. And anyone could—I mean, you say that anyone can do, but it's true in many cases, I think, you know. So. It's got nothing to do with the art. It's just either promoted the right way, or there's so many other factors that play into the, but you still have no winners or losers, you know? It's just what people are willing to pay for a work of art, and unfortunately, the only yardstick you have in art is the price, really. Sucks in a way, because I think there should be a, you know, uh, uh, some kind of a process to, to show the the skill levels as well.
1: Yeah, the the lack of uh, distinct measurement. I think yeah. would be such a stark contrast to racing.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, it's like what what is art? That's I mean, yeah. <laughs> that question is you know how well, many times you that, said...
2: That's why it, that Picasso quote was so powerful to me because he totally sums up the situation perfect in that quote. You know.
0: Well, I mean, I I think, you know, not that they let me in many, many art galleries because they look at me coming, you know, they're just here for the free hot dogs. Uh, but I mean, so many times I've, <laughs> I've stood there and gone, I don't get it. I don't get an inspiration. I mean, you know, you never want to insult an artist, you but you, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm always wondering like, can I ask like, okay, I don't, what am I supposed to be, what, what did you paint? What am I supposed to be seeing? And then let me tell you what I am seeing. And Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: going around London and then in Paris and seeing all the art galleries, I mean, I've seen. Probably most of the most the main art galleries in the world at this point, and I'm always amazed at the stark contrast as you walk through and how different things are, and I'm like, "Huh, <laughs> so that's in here." Yeah. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> paid a lot for that, yeah yeah. So.
2: Well, yeah. Well, you know, that, it is what it is. but yeah, you know you, and. You know, I shouldn't do it for that reason. I mean, I do it because I love it more than anything. You know, that, that's my. Wake up every morning and I can't wait to get to the studio and, and, and art, you know.
1: Yeah, no, and I would encourage any artist to do the same. I mean, I'm, I've certainly got no talent in that area. Like we said, but one time, we're great at drawing hand turkeys for Thanksgiving, and that's about where our talent ends <laughs> with art. We're in the same skill level. Vicious yeah. hand, hand turkeys, hands. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Tracing. <laughs>
0: But then again, I mean, did you when you weren't doing your art, you know, and were you waking up every morning? You couldn't wait to get in the race car, so that that passion was the same there. Yeah,
2: pretty much. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I think it's just moving your passion to a different, uh, yeah, totally a different, different, different yeah. yeah. So yeah, I love that
1: you've been successful in both, though. That's very cool. I mean, you get to live two dreams, really. That's that's as good as it gets. Yeah, I mean,
2: it it really is. I mean, you know, if you think, especially when you're reflect back on it i mean it's unbelievably blessed to, to to be able to do that your whole life pretty much you know
0: i i was going to ask you earlier what type of, of art did your grandfather paint oh, what yeah. did, what did he paint that, that inspired you so much
2: he painted sort of uh, impressionist style mostly
0: oh
1: okay
2: you're looking at a couple of pieces oh, got a couple <laughs> of pieces on my wall up
1: here <laughs> i was going yeah that's a I, Perfect transition to my next question. What art do you have in your house that's not your own?
2: Uh, well, I've, like I said, I've been collecting a bit over the years. I have a, a couple of Warhol pieces. I've got some Keith Haring. Keith Haring was a very good friend. so cool. I've got, uh, got some mostly the sort of 80s pop. i uh, got some Mexican art, Russian pieces I bought years ago. Very cool. Thanks, Stella.
1: Did you find that in the racing world, you were still um, connecting with artists uh, more? Like in, that, in your, your side time, did that give you access to more artists to associate I, with his I friends? I bumped
2: into a few through the racing. Uh, James Rosenquist uh, is another great artist who really, I didn't get any training in art. I just sort of taught myself, you know. But uh, Jim... Was very helpful. He, I used to hang out with him quite a bit when I first started. You know, with his studio in New York and down in Florida, and he taught me the basics. You know, mostly how to mix the paint, make, get the colors. You know, which is really, well, I mean, for me at least, it's one of the most difficult parts. You know, to, uh, and then just kind of the idea. You know, how important it is, and have the eye to see this picture in front of you before it's actually started, you know. Um, and then Keith Haring was, you know, we used to hang out a lot during the summers when I lived down in Monaco. We had mutual friends there, so, yeah, so I mean, you just get inspired from these various people, you know, to, you get ideas in your head when you...
1: Nice. Is there anybody new and upcoming you've got your eye on? Any artists you've, uh, you've been looking at and saying, this is, this is the, he or she is the next big thing, you think?
2: I haven't really seen anything of the new, and frankly, I haven't paid that much attention either, you know, but uh, the guy, far from a new up and coming, but remarkably few people know of him, even in the art world, despite his art sells for millions and millions, is Mark Tansey? an American artist and uh, style is kind of floored me when I first saw his paintings. Very, very large scale oh, wow. and really interesting sort of composition, you know, and, and uh, unbelievably Such a- the subject and the, the, the matter is it's really, really interesting how he composes the whole picture. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've been trying to can't, I can't figure out the style, but it's it's amazing. The, the way it does it with the red red hues, the blues, you know, everything.
0: Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Very it's, cool. Again, I mean, I don't have that artist mind style to be able to see that in your head and go, Oh, this is what I'm gonna do. Like, yeah. <laughs> like but you're right, there's the, I mean the use of color is, is very interesting. It's almost
1: some of them almost look like negatives when yeah, you look exactly. at some of those.: yeah. yeah. So which is really cool. The action painting, too, with the shuttle taking off. Like, that's mm-hmm. neat. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Very cool. So, you, you, you obviously, you dabbled in F1. You're, you're an amazing artist. Are there any other things that you've done in your life that, you know, that were kind of passions? Secret passions?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, no, not really, actually. I mean, I just pursued, my, you know, obviously, the racing and, and the... Art was always my passion in the background until now, when it's sort of, um, and that's, that's enough for me. You know, I mean, that's consumed most of my free time. That's you
1: a know? lot. I wasn't <laughs> suggesting, I I wasn't suggesting it, so you needed you know,
0: something else. I was just asking. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice yeah okay so you know you're not driving anymore and you're painting what else are you doing with your life young man <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, mean, things, so.
2: <laughs> I don't know if it's you know i mean it sounds great but i mean i don't have a life i mean that's all i do is i've been doing my racing and now i'm doing the art you know and that's it sure. But i'm totally happy doing that you know, and I don't, that's all
0: that matters yeah
2: i'm so yeah content with yeah. Happy. I put my head on the pillow and I'm asleep in 30 seconds. So it's it's all good. There you go.
1: Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working in my dreams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's true. <laughs> Fair uh, where can we see your art if we wanted to see it in person? Uh, yeah, your website well, the obviously will we'll link. Probably
2: just to come to my studio um, oh. in Santa Monica. I have I an exhibition at the it. moment yeah. that's co- it's running for a year, actually, nearby here, in a place called the Water Gardens. Okay. I have some paintings there. I have some paintings on show in Sweden and in London at the moment. But, uh, you know, the best place would certainly be to
0: come to the studio here. Yeah. And for all of our LA and, and, and Avance members, that would be pretty. Yeah, easy. I mean, California.
2: Go visit. You know, just make an appointment. And I'm happy to, to show,
1: show. it off. Oh man, that's and a. Yeah. There you go. That is an appointment I would love to make. So, um, you, how, how often do you go back to Sweden? Actually, you um, had paintings there. Do you, do you visit often?
2: I go back about four or five times a year, normally. Oh, okay. But not for very long. You know, like a week. Sometimes too. I try to go with my kids to the archipelago outside of Stockholm in, in the summertime for a couple nice. of weeks because it, it's summer there. It's about as good as it gets. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful it's, there.
2: It's nice to be back with your roots. and
0: Yeah. Do You still have family there?
2: Yeah, all my family's in yeah. Sweden. i Okay. Yeah. The black sheep, that I left. The farm. You're the bl- <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> running off around the world racing cars, yeah. and then becoming an artist in L. A. Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Your parents must be so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kidding, well, of course. Well, I want to really thank you for coming on. Um, we really appreciate you know getting a chance to meet you, even if it's virtual. Um, you know, and 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 getting to meet somebody that's you know really has a passion for something and, and can, you know, so many people say, I, I like to do this, but you know, I think you obviously, you know, your art has, has sort of led your life and, and obviously came to you in, in a very tragic situation. The fact that you were able to use that to kind of cope with, with the loss of a good friend. So that's amazing.
2: Well, thank you guys for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> it's been a fun chat. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we might well, even let Carl talk now. You know, a lot more to talk noise. about yeah. if you want to do another one sometimes. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, again, thank you for coming on. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we, are look, we will look forward to seeing the article in the Avance magazine and everything that Carl's going to be doing with you. And our yeah.
1: listeners can uh, jump to this, uh, this episode on the Avance page. Go to avance.com slash podcast. And then you can go check out this episode and see some of uh, Stefan's art. And we will make sure we post links. So
0: Excellent. Well, for this episode of the Avance podcast, as always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.